Canucks fans, and welcome in. It's episode 72 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, should we should we do the game flight this week? Is it, is it even worth it? Uh, I don't know if I want to torture us or the listeners, um, but uh, yeah, I, I vote X name. Yeah, I, I voted too. We'll just say there were a bunch of games, and they happened, and uh, we didn't even feel like recording last week because, man, it is tough times being a Canuck fan again, as you all know out there. This has been quite the week. Besides stuff going on on the ice, Doug, how are you doing? How's how's life over there? Yeah, you know, uh, I feel like uh, work, we're having to, you know, ask someone to leave uh, pretty much on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, the weather's been nice though, which is good. Um, the fiance, the fiance, and I went out to Golden Ears, uh, which was really nice. Where um, there was nobody out there, so we, you know, did a little bit of hiking, checked out the beach, and that. Uh, I'd never been out there myself. Anyone who lives in the Lower Mainland, um, yeah, if you haven't been to Golden Ears, man, it's absolutely stunning and beautiful out there. And other than that, I picked up uh, a growler from Storm Brewing, uh, the Pineapple Pilsner. It's one of my favorite beers they do. It's a very spring slash early summer beer for me. And yeah, it's uh, it's patio season, man. Sure is. I didn't know breweries were doing growlers. Uh, I mean, Storm is. Maybe maybe they shouldn't be. Also, I, I bought the growler from them, though. Ah, uh, okay. I, uh, I actually, on Friday, I did a little uh, bike ride around East Van and hit up a couple of breweries myself just grabbing two tall cans from each of the breweries so i hit up uh, strange fellows container and callister i also went by superflux but uh they only did four packs and i i wanted to get a couple singles i like to have the variety you know and i also stopped at the the commie kitchen there and picked up some jamaican patties uh from elbow patties i highly recommend those i got some jerk chicken ones and some mushroom ones uh they're awesome i like to trying to support local east van so that was my uh my contributions but some good stuff i love biking around that whole strathcona east van area and it just helps that there is an absolute ton of breweries all tucked away in there and more popping up all the time yeah i saw the the shadow uh to the jamaican patty uh El- elbow is it called or that's the one yeah yeah, I, I'm definitely keen to, to pick some up myself. Do they come frozen? No, not the ones I got. They say to freeze them, but uh, I got through all dozen of mine by the end of the weekend. I just uh, I, I made a serious dent in them, but you can freeze them. Uh, they're excellent. Good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff that comes out of that kitchen. I need to support that more, I think. Yeah, I'm a big, big Jamaican patty fan, man. I mean, I know they're definitely not nowhere near on the same level uh, as the elbow ones would be. Um, but you know, if I'm on a road trip and we're stopping at a seven 11, one of my go-tos <laughs> is a seven 11 Jamaican patty. Don't judge me. Uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, Jamaican patty, seven 11 Jamaican patty road trip. Uh, they're, they're a okay in my books. Jamaican food for me underrated. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's up there. I spent a couple of weeks, uh, backpacking around Jamaica back in 2005, um, had uh, some had some sketchy moments on that trip. Jamaica Jamaica can be pretty sketchy, but the food, man, the food there is pretty lights out. Yeah, Caribbean food as a as a whole is just really underrated in my mind. I know Toronto has you know a plethora of great Caribbean restaurants and uh, 
food available. Vancouver is lacking. I know more and more are popping up, but Vancouver is lacking. Calabash, which I know is one of your favorites, one of my favorites as well. Good local restaurants. Speaking of supporting local, um, check out Calabash if you haven't already. Uh, I believe the reefs closed down. I was never the biggest fan of the reef. It was okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd love to see more Caribbean food in the lower mainland. Well, we're recording this. It's uh, 4.30 on Tuesday. So we're recording this before the Canucks game tonight, the second one against the Oilers. And uh, we got to lay off the food talk a bit because uh, I'm getting hungry already now and it's uh, not quite dinner time. So by the time this episode comes out, the Canucks will have played another game. We don't normally record like this, but it's just kind of the way our schedules work. If anything dramatic happens, like McDavid puts up a 10-point night or something in the game tonight, we'll come back and uh, do a little 15-minute add-on at the end of it. But we know Jack Rathbone is supposed to make his debut tonight as well. So we won't be covering that game. We're not really going to be covering any specific games, to be honest, because they all just kind of merge into one, just like our our bottom six forwards do at the moment. But we are going to talk a bit about the situations off the ice with the Canucks this past week. We're going to talk a bit about the kids. We're going to actually try and do a little bit of positivity in here because we feel that Canucks Nation needs that. We're going to each talk about three things that we have found to be promising or good, just kind of an uplifting story or something to give us some hope. And then we're going to talk a bit more about what is going on around the league, especially the the Tom Wilson, New York Rangers, Washington Capitals saga. Yeah, I think there's a lot of Canucks negative talk going around right now, and rightfully so. It's been one of the more forgettable years in recent memory as a Canucks fan. Um, but I think it is important that, you know, I do think there's been a couple of bright spots this year that, you know, we should touch on. And I think we should, you know, look forward to moving into next year as a Canucks fan. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been tough, man. I mean, this last week, especially even with the COVID outbreak, it just, it's, it's been a very tough year uh, for the Canucks and its fans. And, uh, yeah, we're here to discuss all the negative and positive and yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start that off here uh, with with some Canucks talk and and some of the important subjects. First of all, you also can find us on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore Gas, and the podcast is at Canucks Speak. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And as always, Pete and I are building this ever-growing outro playlist on Spotify. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. Uh, During every outro segment of an episode, we have a funky jam playing in the background. There'll be another one added at the end of this episode. So we're going to start this episode with what is the big news out of Vancouver. And that is the whole situation with Jake Vertanen. And this is something that... Obviously, we need to tread lightly with and we need to be careful. So if it seems like we're, we're kind of choosing our words, it's probably because we are, because this is a sensitive subject and we don't want to say the wrong things, And we, but we just want to get our thoughts and our point across because we do believe that by not saying anything, that's a bigger problem than, than trying our best to address the issue. For me, first of all, I think it's really important to always believe victims' statements as someone who has had people in his life who's gone through things like this in the past. I don't understand why anyone would want to make something like this up. It just uh, and and statistically, the odds are well in favor of the person telling the truth than than not. 
I think uh, when everything broke on Twitter, uh, what what day was that? Was that um, it was the day before it all happened? Was that Sunday, Doug? No, it was it was Friday. Friday. Friday? It was Friday because the Canucks. Uh, it was the Saturday that I believe the Canucks uh, said Jake was taking a leave. Right, and I know we talked, and we're like, "Oh, uh, geez, like, have you seen this?" And we're like, "You know, uh, we we should probably kind of see how the dust settles with this before we say anything." And then the next day, the media picked it up, and uh, uh, even though Canucks fans were already aware of it, it's uh, that's when it really took off and became a story. Vertanen wasn't uh, on practice, and that's when we knew that things were were happening there. And now he's placed on leave by the team. Um, my thoughts again, I think this is the right move. Uh, obviously there has to be a full investigation, find out what happened. But if these allegations are true, which, uh, again, like I said, I, I don't have any reason to doubt at the moment, just, just based on experience in the past. I mean, I don't think we'll be seeing Jake in Vancouver or maybe the NHL again anytime soon, if ever. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you had to say there, Pete. Uh, you know, victims, I, you know, support victims, believe them when they are comfortable to and willing to share their stories. Um, the overwhelming percentage of their stories actually being true uh, are staggering. Um, the one thing with this whole situation that was a little uncomfortable from the initial reports, I believe Friday, is that I don't think the victim was ready or wanting her story to be out in the public. Uh, and I don't know who leaked the the statements or the quotes, um, but I thought, you know, that's kind of besides the point, but I still think it's worth mentioning that, um, you know, it's the victim's choice and their will to want to share their story and when they'll they're ready to share their story so i thought that was also another situ uh part of this top this story that was a little uncomfortable uh i i didn't like that uh i i think that the person who is still anonymous and she has every right to be anonymous uh you know is okay now with the story being out there i mean it's out there what are you gonna do as far as the situation, I mean, yeah, uh, you know, obviously there's an investigation. The Canucks did release a statement. Uh, they were relatively swift in, you know, saying that Jake has taken a leave from the team and that they do not tolerate sexual misconduct in any way. And they are doing an external investigation into the matter. Who knows what that'll turn up? I think, you know, obviously we have to wait and see and, you know, see what happens, what the future is with uh, Jake, with the future of, you know, of him as a Canuck or like you said, even being a player in the NHL. Um, but, you know, my thoughts are with the victim. I hope she's okay. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a disturbing story. What do you think of the way that the team has handled this? There's been a lot of pressure and a lot of flack given to Aquilini and Benning for not, being the face and taking questions about this. And again, I know it's a sensitive issue, so and I know they don't want to put too much out there. But poor Travis Green had to kind of sit there and, you know, he said right at the start of his press conference, that is like, look, I, I'm aware of the situation, but I'm not going to be talking about it. Kind of a tough spot to put a, a, a coach in. And we still haven't heard anything from Aquilini or Benning. And yeah, I know Benning's down in Texas, but what do you think of the way this is being handled by the organization so far? 
Yeah, I was absolutely disappointed, uh, and I thought it was kind of sad that Green was the first public figure to have to get in front of a camera and in front of a microphone and answer questions. I know it's all part of, you know, the game day prep that Green, you know, has his pregame press conference with the media, and then obviously there's a postgame press conference after the game. Uh, I know probably in Aquilini's mind and the Canucks' mind that they released a statement, and that was good enough, but I disagree. I, I, I do think Aquilini should have gotten in front of a camera and a microphone. Uh, betting as well, I know a lot of people are trying to, you know, throw the shade at betting, but this also goes back to, you know, the bigger issue that this team is in desperate need of a team president, of that figurehead, the guy that can get in front of the camera and, you know, is well, good at public speaking. You know, Benning is not a good public speaker. Um, the, the amount of times he contradicts himself in press conferences from one thing to another. Uh, yeah, I felt bad for Green, especially since the guy doesn't have a contract heading into next year. He's potentially coaching the last 10 games as the Canucks head coach. Um, there's no guarantees. I mean, I think if Green was to leave the organization, he would land on his feet and he would find a job elsewhere. That being said, the fact that he's the guy that's got to take the brunt of the questions and, you know, all that stuff. And I don't blame media members for asking because that's their job. Um, yeah, it was it was not a good look for the Canucks. And, you know, you're hearing that the Green negotiations with ownership aren't going well. And, you know, I almost wonder if Green's just done. He's done with the kind of... Mickey Mouse job that's been happening behind the scenes with ownership and just the way the the team's been handling certain situations. I don't think it's necessarily just the Jake Vertanen situation, but you know there was reports that there was a lack of communication, whether that's Jim or whether that is Francesco Aquilini with, during the outbreak, and you know some of the coaches and some of the players weren't able to you know have proper communications with Francesco or with Jim, and there's a lot. I think there's a lot of things behind the scenes that are happening in this organization and it's it's not looking good man we're turning into you know the Buffalo Sabres or the Ottawa Senators this year like it's it, this has been a very dysfunctional year uh for the Canucks. Yeah, for sure. And um yeah, just wrapping up the the bit with Jake um you know it is I, we've already said it but do believe victims do listen and let's just see what this all turns out but um very much a, a dark chapter in what has already been a, a bad season and this has been probably the worst part of it um just seeing a, a victim out there uh, f that was so directly affected by one of the the members of this team so any any final thoughts from yourself doug uh no not really uh, no. just like to you know restate what you said believe victims and uh yeah, hopefully uh, the investigation uh, is able to proceed. As far as I'm aware, I don't think the police have been contacted or investigating the matter as of yet. Not saying they, they won't be, um, but last I had read and heard, um, the police have not been in contact with uh, the alleged victim. And also, if uh, if you have any comments or you feel like we've gotten anything wrong with what we're saying with this, please reach out to us because we're, we're trying. And if there's something we've said wrong or uh, could have said better, please let us know. Just shoot us a direct message at Speak on Twitter. One of us will get back to you. We're sometimes a little slow with checking our messages and using that Twitter account. Uh, but we will get back to you. And any feedback, uh, good or bad, we greatly 
appreciate. Um, I do want to touch on a couple of things that you said towards the end of that segment, Doug, uh, just pertaining with the team. Um, we'd also heard from players like Toffoli and Stetcher uh, when they left about a lack of communication. Um, and this is really when this season, this season started to unravel right uh, when free agency opened, right? It, it was a bad off season for the Canucks. Um, you also talked about something we always talk about and the lack of a president and a face. And the Canucks don't have a face right now there and that's again where it came back to Travis Green and it shouldn't but you're right Benning's not a very good public speaker at all I mean how many well and you knows and stuff you get wise broad nobody knows what he does right he's like and nobody trusts him and it's the same with Aquilini you know people don't really trust Aquilini they think he's got like this silver grin and is just uh like a monster in behind it they don't trust him there's no one in the organization that that you know that stalwart president who can come in and deal with something like this the Canucks have a very small operations team they've laid off a ton of staff as well and right now it's just uh it is a bad look for the team and i mean with all this you know we talk about covid the the players leaving the, the jake for tannin the injuries you know no pd the laying off of the staff uh i'm sure that there's more but for me this feels like this might be the worst season i've experienced as a fan now it's not statistically the worst season but just with the way last season ended and the way that we've just gone downhill you know you also talk about like the trading of Adam Gaudet which is a very questionable move um and uh, of course we lost Tyler Madden and those were like going to be two of our centers uh, down the middle and uh it's it just feels like there's been this steady slide and so for me to say that it's like yeah I know around the Messi start of the Messier era and then, then like when I started watching the team in the mid 80s like early mid 80s that was a dark era too but this season just feels like the biggest throwaway season I can remember would you say the same Doug or would you say that there there's others that have been worse for you uh I would say this is probably one of the hardest seasons trying to be a fan and to want to watch the games and to want to cheer for the team. There's so much going on um, on the ice, off the ice, obviously, as we've just talked about. You know, coming out of such a high from the bubble last year and, you know, the Canucks definitely overachieved, but, you know, it was just, okay, you see this team, they're taking the right steps. They seem like they're heading in the right direction. And then this year, right, like you said, right from... Once the offseason started into free agency, there seemed to be some issues there. Um, you know, most people didn't think Markstrom was worth the contract that he signed for in Calgary. Most people were ready to walk away from Tanev, although Tanev's arguably been the best defenseman in Calgary this year. He's looked incredible. Um, Stetcher, I know he's a local guy, and, you know, there was a lot of heartstrings about Stetch, but... And a lot of people want to throw shade towards Jim Benning, and rightfully so. But I also think a lot of the Stetcher situation, you know, you got to lay at the feet of Travis Green as well. Green didn't really lean on Stetcher a lot last year. You know, Stetcher had very limited minutes in a bottom pairing role. I know he should have come, you know, relatively cheap and, you know, was a right shot defenseman, local kid, fan favorite and all. But, you know, I think Green is just as culpable as Benning for Stetcher not being re-signed. I think if, if, Green really wanted Stetcher back, Stetcher would have been re-signed. That's just my personal opinion. And then, yes, obviously the whole Tyler Toffoli thing and how Toffoli essentially signed, what was it, a two-year deal, I believe, or a three-year deal with Montreal for what seemed like pennies on the dollar to what you normally think Toffoli could have got. 
Uh, one of the things you and I talked about, you know, when the mics weren't recording was, you know, betting and just how he often contradicts himself. And he made the statement, I believe it was just before the trade deadline, or maybe it was right after the trade deadline, when he said he sees this team being really competitive in two years time. Okay, that's fine. But if you think this team's going to be competitive in two years time, why the fuck did you trade for Tyler Toffoli last year? Like that doesn't make sense. It's just so frustrating. And you know what? Like, I love this team. I know you love this team. I know the majority of the people on Twitter that are banging their heads up against the wall right now love this team. But there's just so many things that are happening. And you just, you know, and you and I definitely try to be, you know, more middle of the row fans and try to, you know, Mm -hmm. don't look at the glasses, you know, half empty all the time and, you know, try to be, try to take positives out of things. But this past year, man, it just like everything is just kind of, you know, compiled it's one thing after another after another and then obviously the COVID outbreak you know and that's to no fault of anybody's I, I it's just unfortunate circumstances that the Canucks were hit as hard as they were um but then you're hearing some of the situ- you know some of the talk like I said earlier about you know the lack of communication and you know players kind of being you know left to their own you know devices but then you also heard there were provisions provided to the players. I don't know. It's just, it's been one of the worst seasons I can remember uh, being a Canucks fan. Absolutely. Yeah. A couple of things in there as well. Just going back to Troy Stetcher. I, I think people tend to forget that in order for the Canucks to have kept Stetcher, they would have had to qualify him at 2.325 for a one year, 2.325. That's a little rich. So I think uh, that was why they didn't do that. It was similar to the Ben Hutton thing. So that's just something to, to keep in mind as well. Cause you know, I, that would have been a little bit high. Um, the, the other thing as well is just with the team as a whole and you know, I talk about reading the room, and that's something that uh, I think we we are both good at doing in social situations. You can read the room and, and adapt to it. And if the Canucks ownership, Francesco, is looking at this fan base and reading the room, there is a real discontent here right now. And it's not like a couple of Band-Aids are going to, you know, put it all back together. Okay, so Tanner Pearson's coming back. Travis Green comes back. Jim Benning comes back. Everyone's coming back. That's not really going to change things, right? Like there needs to be some serious overhaul in the way this team does business. And I know with Benning, I've I've defended his drafting in the past, and I have said that this is the best era of drafting the Canucks have seen, and I, I do still stand by that. I think it is. But in order, like, I mean, a lot of the stuff outside of that, the professional scouting and contracts and stuff, like, I mean, Matthew Highmore for Adam Gaudet is not looking like a good trade uh, any more than it did on day one right now. Uh, and there's there's a there's a lot of these. I mean, yeah, we won some trades here and there, but not not a lot. And you know, maybe if there's a way you can move Benning into a different role in scouting and and have someone else in, or just have more bodies. If he stays in GM, he needs to have more people around him. But Francesco, the Canucks, they need to read the room here. The fan base it has has just had it. Like we're here, we're here gonna, looking at lottery picks again. Uh, it's this has been the story of the last decade, really. Yeah, I actually think one of the things that's really hurt the lack of change this year and the lack of frustration that I think a lot of the fans are feeling is the fact that there are no fans in the stadium. I think if there were fans in the stadium, your voices. I mean, look at Gillis. Is was the last game of that year when. Uh, the fans were chanting fire Gillis and then it was mm-hmm. a few, I think it was a week or so later, Gillis did, you know, 
was served his marching orders. Um, so yeah, I, I do think the fact that the fans aren't able to get into the stadium and to really voice their opinions and to, you know, whether that's just not going to the games and, you know, you've got what looks like, you know, 5,000 fans in the stadium, almost like a Florida Panthers game. And you have all the fans outside kind of protesting, you know, going in or whatever it is. Or I know the Whitecaps fans uh, was at the Southsiders a few years ago. They had some issues with ownership and they showed up late to the game. I think they didn't show up until like, I don't know, 10 minutes later. And they kind of marched in and made a big scene out of it. Uh, I do think that hurts. You know, I do think not being able to go to the stadium and to, you know, voice your opinion on national broadcast or national TV. I mean, obviously when the fire Gillis chant was happening, that was all over the national media. And I look, I know the banner flew around and that was a little thing, but it, it doesn't have the same effect as when you're in the stadium or fans decide to not show up for a game. And you've got, you know, 8,000 fans in a stadium that can hold 18,000 fans. Uh, it is a little tough right now. And you can't organize a rally at the stadium as well because of uh, all the dynamics with COVID and social distancing, and it just isn't right. So the voices on social media scream louder, the airplanes fly banners, uh, Canucks fans just divide and get more and more frustrated and turn on each other. Canucks' biggest enemies these days are Canucks fans. Well, that's really been the case a lot of the time. Um, One other thing that happened this past week that is causing some consternation is uh, the Nikita Trampkin re-signing over in the KHL. Um, Personally, I'm not terribly bothered by this. Is Look, I, I I guess I'm just not convinced that Tramkin is going to be a difference maker. The guy's 27. He hasn't played in the league in over four years. Uh, we have no idea what he he would be like. He needs to come in on a cheap deal, a show-me deal, if he wants to do anything, if he wants to get back into the NHL. That's what he has to do. He's a UFA at the end of this year, regardless, with his rights. Um, I just don't think there was a market to trade him. I don't think that the, the sides could agree on a contract and for me this is kind of the end of it not a big deal for me i think there's better uh targets to get out there what do you think about this whole nikita trampkin thing yeah i tend to agree i think trampkin also plays the left side uh we all know uh the canucks are pretty i don't want to say stocked uh but you know they they have a an abundance of talent on the right side in comparison to the right side at the moment if he was a right shot defenseman you know you might be a little bit more inclined to uh, feel the pressure to sign him to a deal. I don't know, and there's a lot of smarter hockey men than me, and smarter smarter hockey fans, I should say, than me, that don't feel like Nikita Triumkin is actually an NHL player. I know, I know a lot of media members have come out and said that they don't think Nikita Triumkin is an NHL player. Uh, who's, Craig Button came out, I believe he was on the Donnie and Dolly show about week ago and they asked him and he said no I don't think Nikita Trampkin is an NHL player whatsoever uh the one thing that does bother me is that Rick Dollywall did report that he believes that at this trade deadline the Arizona Coyotes did make a trade offer for Nikita Trampkin's rights and the Canucks for whatever reason turned that trade offer down I mean look even if it's a sixth seventh round pick who cares like you know what I mean like at least recoup something if you don't think you're going to resign this guy then, you know, get something for him. Essentially, he signed a two-year deal back in the KHL. So I believe... Three-year deal, his, I think it was. A three? Yeah, I think it was a three-year deal. Oh, okay. Well, I, then I don't ever see... Like, 
I don't see him ever coming back to the NHL then. He'll almost be 30 by the time that's done. I don't see a team wanting to risk that. Uh, I know his rights after the end of this year are officially, you know, free to anybody, but I don't think he can sign with anybody because he has a KHL deal. So mm-hmm. even if a team was interested in getting Triampkin, you're not going to be able to resign him for three years, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't think it, yeah, I think it's a lot of do about nothing. I, I'd much think, I, I'd much rather have you levy Rathbone Hughes as on my left side moving forward uh, than Triampkin. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Linus Carlson might be who you're thinking of. He signed a two-year deal uh, within the past 24 hours over in Sweden, which is fine. He needs a little bit more time anyways. Um, but yeah, for me, this puts an end to the Trampkin thing. I agree, though. If there was a deal from the Coyotes, even if it is a sixth-round pick, man, like, why not? If you, if you maybe at the time they thought that they were still going to get a deal done, but it seemed to all unfold pretty quickly. And maybe Trampkin was just using the Canucks to get better leverage with his KHL team and get a better deal. In any case, I was never completely convinced that this guy was going to be a difference maker. We have a tendency as fans, especially fans of this team, to often overvalue our players. I know a lot of teams do this, but I think we really did this uh, a bit with Trampkin. We have this idea of this hulking young defenseman who can skate and do all these things and protect the goalies and stuff. But, you know... If, if he's not a fast skater and he's just going to get guys blowing around him, like you look at this North division, man, it is fast. Like All the teams in there, with the exception a little bit of Vancouver and Calgary right now, all the other teams I've noticed are really fast. Like, even Ottawa is really fast. Uh, Montreal's got a, a fast team, and bringing Cole Caulfield in makes him even faster. Uh, Toronto's fast. Edmonton, I mean, McDavid alone is 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 reason to to watch that um and winnipeg's a fast team and i just don't know if uh trampkin has it so for me this puts it to bed no more trampkin stuff can't trade his rights can't do anything it's done it's dusted let's let's move on one thing uh we were going to talk about and uh i still want to talk about is We've been, uh, we're half an hour in here. It's been a lot of doom and gloom, but we said we were going to try and do a little bit of positivity here. Three things each that we have looked at the season as, as a positive. Um, so Doug, why don't you go first? Why don't you give me your three things and then I'll give you mine. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's been a hard season uh, being a fan, but I do think there have been some bright spots this year. Uh, in no particular order, I think uh, getting to see Ole Olevi play NHL games and looks like he is an NHL defenseman. Is he going to be a top four defenseman? Uh, maybe. Um, but he definitely looks like he belongs. I think the more games Ole Olevi plays, the more experience he gets uh, playing in the NHL. I think he is going to be a good player for us. And I don't think he'll ever live up to the hype or the value of being a six overall pick, especially when you look at some of the guys Kachuk uh, being drafted right after him. But yeah, getting to see Ole Levy play uh, NHL games and more than just the one. I know he got the one game in the bubble last year. To me, that's a positive, man. And I, I've liked what I've seen with Levy more often than not. Uh, Brock Besser uh, seemingly having his scoring touchback, I think, is a huge bonus this year. I really liked what I saw out of Brock Besser. I know coming out of the COVID outbreak, he hasn't looked great, but he sniped a goal last night against the Oilers. And it's really nice to see Besser kind of have that shot back. And he, he's looked really good. And then the other one is Thatcher Demko looks like he's a legitimate number one goalie. I know he was playing out of his head last year in the bubble against Vegas. 
and you know, there's no way he could sustain that level of play. But prior to the COVID outbreak, Thatcher Demko was on a heater, and you know, there was thoughts and talk that this team could be a playoff team, and the majority of that was because of Thatcher Demko's play. Yeah, those are all, all good. I mean, uh, the Yolevi thing. I mean, will he ever live up to the hype of being fifth overall? Yeah, I, I, uh, it's. I mean, it's certainly not looking like it at the moment. But he does look like he can be an NHL defenseman. Uh, it's been frustrating seeing him sit a lot of games this year. Uh, I hope that the team uses him more now that Ben is out of the equation. I think uh, that we will see more of him. Uh, Besser, yeah, he's uh, looked up until the COVID break. Uh, this was the best we'd ever seen Brock Besser look. And yeah, you're right. He hasn't been quite the same since COVID. But I mean, you could say that about uh, pretty much anyone on this team uh, as well. Um, but yeah, up till COVID, Besser looked like the player that we all first caught glimpses of when he played that handful of games in his first entry level year. And yeah, Demko as well. Uh, Demko does, it, it solidifies, you know, we talked about Markstrom earlier and I was always okay with Markstrom going at that contract. Um, but Demko does look the real deal and uh, getting him locked up as well. I think uh, the contract that he signed is is team friendly and I think it's going to be good value for the next five years as well. So uh, I agree. Those are all definitely... Some positives. I got three more for you if you're ready. So we've, we've actually com- come up with six things all together, which is kind of amazing when you think about the this shit show and train wreck that has been this season. So one I wanted to talk about is our, our shiny new toy, Niels Hoglander. Um, yeah, it, it, he's not going to win the Calder. He's probably not even going to get nominated for the Calder. I don't think he's even in the top five rookie scorers this year. However, the way he plays and his hustle and his grind uh, – I think he's this guy's going to be a fan favorite for a while. Um, he's got the moves, and you know we're going to see some sick goals from him down the line. Uh, he's got the forecheck though as well, and he plays a great game. It sounds like the teammates love him, and uh, he can he can play a solid full length of the ice as well. So for me, Hoglander is the big one. Um, I'm going to choose uh, as well the two games against the Leafs coming out of COVID. That was the pinnacle of our season right there. I mean, that was. And he kind of knew it at the time. He knew it wasn't going to be sustainable. But the way they came back by being down against the Leafs and and won and just how much that rattled Toronto's cages, uh, I loved that. That, for me, was was awesome. And then the third is is, is kind of a prospect I had written off. And I think a lot of Canucks fans have written off because his skating wasn't really there. Is Jonah Gadjevich, former second-round pick by the team, and just what he did in Utica, I believe it was 15 goals in 19 games. He's now being called up. Uh, he, I believe he's in a hotel in Winnipeg at the moment, and he's going to be joining the team. And you can kind of say that with some of the the other kids as well. Is you know We got to see Cole Lind now with a couple games. Jack Rathbone's making his debut tonight. Unfortunately, we Mikey DiPietro, just with some real bad luck, left right when he could have possibly gotten a game in. But hey, at least he's playing again, which is great. So... I know also Will Lockwood is really been playing quite well. Carson Falk, like there's, there are some good uh, prospects down there right now. But Jonah Gadjevich in particular, I just wanted to mention him. Yeah, I mean, I I think he hit some really bright spots there. Obviously, Nils Hoglander has been great. Um, yeah, there's no way he's going to get consideration for uh, the Calder Trophy. But who cares? He's made a massive difference for this team. And every time he's on the ice, you notice him. I think the last few games, which have been, we're on, what, a five-game losing streak at the moment. Hoglander's probably been the most consistent and best Canuck in those five games. He's got a lot of uh, Yannick Hansen 
I think, in him, except for he's got more finish around the net. Uh, yeah, I've really, really been quite surprised with Nils Hoglander. I know there was talk about him coming over here and whether or not he would actually get to stick with the team out of training camp. And yeah, he solidified his spot all year. And, you know, he's been pretty much in the top six for the majority of the year. I know there's nights when Green throws all the lines in a blender and Hoglander will be playing up and down the line. But yeah, uh, can't say enough about how impressed I am uh, of Nils Hoglander. The two games against the Leafs, of course. I mean, that was the pinnacle of the Canucks season, right? Uh, just massive, massive morale boost for the team and for the players, especially after JT Miller had kind of, you know, said what he said in that interview asking, you know, not asking essentially, but, you know, just saying that this team isn't ready to play and that, you know, we need a couple extra days and the league and I guess the PA got together and said, okay, and they gave the Canucks an extra couple of days, which was great. And then to see the Canucks kind of take the Leafs out uh, those games was huge. I mean, it was great for morale. Uh, It was obviously not sustainable moving forward. But yeah, I agree. I think it, it showed a lot of heart and a lot of character. Uh, Horvat had an unbelievable game the first game. I believe he had three points, including uh, the game winner in overtime. So yeah, as far as a game standpoint, that was definitely the pinnacle of the year. And then, yeah, I agree. I think a lot of the prospects down in Utica have made some strides this year. Their season was also broken up with a bit of a COVID outbreak. I believe they uh, weren't playing for a week or two as well um, because of uh, too many positive cases in and around the team. Jonah Gajevich, I don't know if he's an NHL player. Uh, His skating does still concern me, especially at the NHL level. But for whatever reason this year, he's really found a nose for the net and a pension to score goals. And I'm interested to see him get a couple of games up with the big team. I mean, right now, that bottom six, I mean, (laughs) you know, who cares? Throw whoever you want in there. Uh, I've heard good things, like you said, about Will Lockwood. Uh, Jet Wu, I know he's kind of had an up and down season, but I think overall he's made some strides himself. Um, Mikey DiPietro finally getting a couple of uh, games this year is nice as well. I don't know why the Canucks, and again, this is just, I know this is meant to be a positive segment, but I don't know why it took this long to send DiPietro down to Utica. Just another weird decision that just doesn't make sense. Maybe it was something to do with salary cap issues and his contract, uh, you know, setting him down, they would have had to bring someone else up and maybe that would have put him over the salary cap. I did hear Green say, going back to the Ulevi thing, that apparently one of the reasons why Ulevi was benched for as long as he was is because there were some salary cap issues where they weren't able to actually play Ulevi, just like Cole Caulfield in Montreal. The first little while he was up there, he wasn't getting games either. And apparently it was a salary cap issue. Um, but yeah, man, uh, I am excited. I don't think any of the guys down in Utica are game breakers. I think Rathbone will probably be the most impactful player of all the uh, young prospects currently playing in Utica or played in Utica this year. I think Rathbone and then maybe Lind can develop into a solid bottom six guy. But uh, yeah, you got to like the development that you saw this year. Whether or not it turns into NHL talent, who knows? Well, before we uh, take this off the rails and start going negative again, we're we're going to take this into around the room and talk about a few issues going on around the league here. I think you're going to want to hear this. Uh, no, I'm just playing. I'm, I'm having fun here at the hockey game. And 
And the big one, of course, is the Tom Wilson saga. Uh, Tom Wilson is single-handedly trying to destroy my hockey pool team. So uh, I, I've got it in for him. I have Panarin and Buchnevich, and I'm in a dogfight for first. So thanks, motherfucker. If I lose the pool because of Tom Wilson, I'm going to hate him even more. Um, this is... Okay, so, I mean, uh, we could probably spend a whole episode talking about this, but... This, for me, piggybacks onto what I've been complaining about with NHL officiating and just a little bit of old, a lot of old schoolness with the NHL and a lot of old men who are taking their hockey knowledge from the 70s and 80s and applying it to the game in ways that don't really work. I mean, how Wilson doesn't get suspended for that and only gets a fine when you can take any other suspension this year and you can compare it and you'd be like, I mean, to someone who doesn't know hockey and sees that it, it, it's a huge, no pun intended, black eye on the game. And then the Rangers coming out and doing what they did. And now this is where things are going to get interesting. Cause I love that the Rangers just say, you know what? Like, fuck this, this is wrong. And a team with that much power, I believe the Rangers are the second most valuable franchise in the NHL to come out and do that. Uh, the irony is they're probably going to get a bigger fine now than Tom Wilson did. But, man, I mean, there's no way it's just a $5,000 fine and no suspension is enough, right? Absolutely not. And, like, the fact that Wilson, after he was penalized and he was in the penalty box, stood up and was putting his shoulders up like he was the big tough guy, like, it just goes to show that he has absolutely no remorse for what he did. I mean, he could have cracked Panarin's skull open. He was punching Bunevich in the back of the head when his face was on the ice. It just blows my mind that Tom Wilson, I know he's been suspended before, but just some of the stuff that this guy's been able to get away with, it's surprising. Like, you almost wonder if he's got, like, blackmail on George Peros or the um, player of safety, uh, whatever that joke of a organization is meant to be called, Department of Player Safety. Um it doesn't make sense. Like I, the fact that they wouldn't even suspend him, you know, for the rest of the season, and now Panarin's done for the year. I mean, whether or not he'll—I don't know—are are the Rangers? I don't think the Rangers are in a, a contention for a playoff spot, are they? Uh, I haven't actually, to be fair, been paying attention to uh, that division. But I know Panarin's definitely not going to play again for the rest of the regular season. It just, yeah, and now what you're setting up, and again, I'm not advocating this. I definitely don't want to see this, especially being a Canucks fan, because we saw this happen, is you're you're setting up frontier justice from the New York Ranger players, right? Uh, And, you you know, I hate to compare this to the Bertuzzi-Moore incident, but, you know, there's a lot of similarities that potentially could be coming to a head here. I'm not saying they will. Uh, the difference is you would assume that Tom Wilson is going to want to fight uh, where Steve Moore didn't want to fight. Uh, so that was kind of the issue there. Um, but you're essentially setting up, you know, for an all out brawl. And the statement that the Rangers made, the press release and the statement, the official statement where they called for George Peros's job, good on them. I wish more teams would make a stand like that against the league and against the the Department of Player Safety. You brought a, you had a great tweet, Pete, when you said you were, you know, 
you really liked the fact that the Rangers took a stand and you hope more teams would be willing to stand with them and to support them. And I totally agree. I mean, the Canucks, look at the Aaron Rome situation in the 2011 Stanley Cup final. You know, sure, maybe it was a little bit of a late hit, but it was an open ice, clean check, uh, you know, maybe a millisecond late. The guy suspended four games, the rest of the Stanley Cup final. And there's an, always been this unwritten rule that a, a, a one game suspension in the Stanley Cup or in the playoffs in general are generally worth two games in the regular season. You're not even fining, or pardon me, you're not even suspending Tom Wilson for one game. And I know the Alex Edler knee on knee on Zach Hyman, that whole situation. Yes, it was a careless hit by Edler. Edler did deserve a suspension and he got suspended. But for what Wilson did, and I know the argument is, oh, it was a scrum and this happens. You know, you can make an argument that this happens, you know, every game or after every play. No, not to the not to the level that it happened yesterday. Uh, it just, it was absolutely embarrassing on the league and the Department of Player Safety. Uh, Rangers have been eliminated from the playoffs. All four spots in that division uh, have been already been claimed. Rangers play the Capitals tomorrow as well. So that's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Rangers are, are livid. A lot of hockey people are livid. Uh, it's It's really showing a bit of a divide in the hockey world. But the NHL needs to get this all together they they need to clean up the game a bit more we're not at that point where there's this much skill that you want to see this sort of stuff happen and especially with tnt and espn getting involved next year uh it's going to change the way that a lot of americans look at hockey and view hockey so they need to start getting this all cleaned up um one guy we touched on a couple of times earlier in the episode, Cole Caulfield. What a debut for this guy, eh? Two games, two overtime goals. That's uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, the, the kid's an absolute sniper, right? He's scored at every level of hockey he's ever played at. Um, yeah, I'm sure Canadians fans are really excited to get to see Cole Caulfield near the end of the season. Uh, the Canadians are obviously holding on to that fourth spot in the Scotia North Division. And to have a guy like Cole Caulfield, um, hopefully for a bit of a playoff run here, would be great. Love to see the Canadians take out the Leafs in the first round. Uh, yeah, shout out to Craig as well. You know, he's a, he's a fan of the show, a uh, friend of us. He's also in our uh, Fantasy Football League Um He's a big Canadians fan, and he's got to be absolutely ecstatic to have a player like Cole Caulfield making uh, his debut for the Canadians at the moment. Uh, for sure. And I mean, he was with us at the draft uh, as well. And remember, that was a guy at 10 I wanted the Canucks to take. And then they took Pod Coles, and I was okay with that. I just didn't even think that Pod Colson was a guy that they were going to look at. I thought it would be uh, Caulfield was the guy that I, I was really leaning towards. Uh, so it's cool to see him make that jump. And, of course, we will see Pods next year as well. 1979 is the last time the Habs and Leafs played in the playoffs. That's crazy, eh? Wow. And they're in the same division as well. That's crazy. That's been 1979. Well, for a long time, remember, they weren't even in the same conference uh, because the Leafs were in the Norris division. Yeah, the Norris division with like, Chicago, Detroit, the Leafs, Minnesota, um, and whoever I'm forgetting in there uh, as well. They were, uh, but they, were, they weren't even in the same conference. So for a long time, because remember in 94, the Canucks played the Leafs in the conference finals. I was just going to say, yeah, in the 93-94 Stanley Cup run for the Canucks, uh, they took the Leafs out. Uh, mm -hmm. 
So that that happened, you know, just with the way the league's uh, gotten shuffled around. But since they've been back in the same conference, it hasn't happened yet. And uh, this year, boy, that would be great. I would love to see that. Uh, Habs, Leafs, and Oilers, Jets. I think that'd be pretty fun to see. I'll definitely be cheering for the Habs in that series. And not just because I hate the Leafs, but also because of Alex Burrows and the strong BC connection that the current Habs team has. But mostly, I'd be cheering for them because they're playing the Leafs. If it was the Jets in that spot, I'd be cheering for the Jets uh, as well uh, so go whoever is playing toronto uh congrats to cool call field though i like stories like that that was pretty cool and another guy who scored in his first and only game back tyler sagan back and we're gonna start seeing a little bit of this it looks like his guys like nikita kucherov and and uh, teams get reinforcements back for the playoffs yeah it was nice to see sagan get back out there i know i he had i, I don't know if it was a sports hernia or like it was some sort of abdominal issue i believe um but yeah it's nice to see sagan get back uh, uh sagan hadn't played a game this year uh, obviously he lit the lamp his first game for dallas yeah man uh, i've always liked sagan i was always a tyler i was always you can go back you know you can i know pete you, i was always a sagan over hall guy way back taylor, when the taylor tyler yeah so a couple other things with Dallas. Uh, I don't know if you saw or not, but they are planning on uh, doing full capacity for a hockey game here. Uh, they're hoping to get that in before the end of the season. They only have four games left. They are still pushing for the playoff spot. The, they're chasing Nashville, but uh, they're four points back with four games left. They got one game in hand. Another thing with that division, really interesting, is it's looking more and more like Florida and Tampa in the first round. That That's going to be a fun series as well. What do you think if the playoffs start? Because I don't, they haven't announced a bubble for the playoffs, have they? There's no bubbles for the playoffs. So, what do you think of teams and like states, you know, because obviously Texas, you know, writes their own rules, being allowed to have full capacity fans and then other teams not, you know what I mean? Like, let's say, I mean, none of the California teams are doing good this year, but let's say Minnesota, which has been one of the surprising teams this year, or Pittsburgh, or even. Yeah, the Islanders, you know, not being able to have fans, you know, do you think that's an unfair advantage to the teams able to put fans in the stadiums? And then let's say, you know, Dallas is playing. I don't even know who's in their division. Uh, let's say the Flyers. I don't know if they're in the division or not. And Dallas can, you know, ram the ram their uh, home stadium with 18,000 fans and the Flyers aren't allowed to put anybody in the stadium. Uh, you're not even in the right division. Uh, it looks like if, if Dallas makes it, they would more than likely play Carolina in the first round. Uh, but that's, you know, it's it's one of these things. That's home ice advantage for you right there. That's just one of those variables of the game that you can't control. It's like it's like baseball ballparks. They're all a little bit different. It's going to be like that for the playoffs. And you may see that change throughout the playoffs. Let's say Dallas does squeak in and knock Nashville out of that spot. And they have full attendance for games three and four when they play Carolina and let's just say they somehow beat Carolina and go on to the next round and play Florida or Tampa well Florida you never know they're such a, that's what state is such a wild card they could be full capacity as well and uh, then you could have it both ways so I mean or a state could be like hey we're clamping this down it's variable it's going to be really noticeable this year it'll definitely be an advantage to teams that have fans in there and right now Dallas is the only one looking to do that yeah, I just like you were saying it's, you know, it's part of having home ice advantage. But if you're the opposing home team, there is no advantage for you because you don't have your fans in the yeah. stadium. So it's just like you're going into hostile territory and then all of a sudden you come home and it's crickets, right? To yeah. no fault of your own, obviously. But I just 
And I don't see the league stepping in because they're not going to want to prevent their owners from, you know, getting ticket revenue or any of that. But it just, it does seem like this, there could be a really unfair advantage to any team that would be allowed to pack their stadium and they're playing a team that isn't allowed to have fans in the stadium whatsoever. Yeah, for sure. But um, again, it's, uh, you can't do much about that. It's, uh, it's going to be an advantage to teams that can have it. That's for sure. Should we uh, do the free pour, Doug? Let's do it. All right, it's that time of the episode. It's the free pour open floor segment. And I'm just going to jump into mine and talk about the NFL draft and more specifically my New England Patriots. Um, We ended up drafting Mac Jones, 15th overall, was not the guy I wanted. However, we didn't have to trade up to get him. At one point, he was projected to go third overall to the San Francisco 49ers. The more I'm reading about Jones, the more I'm okay with the pick. Again, you didn't have to give up any extra assets to grab him. Uh, I was on the Justin Fields hype train, and he was the guy I really wanted and was really hoping for. I was hoping that the Patriots would have jumped up to get him, or he would have even fallen to them. He didn't. Uh, congratulations to the Bears, though. Uh, you know, they've not had good quarterbacking arguably ever. Even the G- Jim McMahon years uh, and the 85 Bears that were Super Bowl champions, McMahon was always more of a game manager than he was an actual, like, elite quarterback. Uh, so shout out to them. Uh, the Patriots did get good value in the second round. That Barmore kid is considered to be one of the best defensive tackles in the draft, if not the best defensive tackle in the draft. Uh, so overall, I do think the Patriots had a solid draft, and uh, I guess it's the Mac Jones era. Yeah, it was cool to see the Bears trade up to get Fields. They uh, they obviously wanted to fix that Trubisky mistake that they made. Also, the CFL draft is going on right now, Doug. I can't believe that uh, we're, we're, we're not watching that and talking about that. I've been seeing the Simpsons uh, gifs and memes <laughs> floating around Twitter today. Uh, I, always gets, I always get a kick out of that one. Uh, for me, I'm going to do something that uh, we never talk about because we're not very cultured or so many people think. But I'm going to talk about a book I'm reading. And, you know, we already mentioned our buddy Craig, uh, the Habs fan. He actually sent me this book because uh, we, at the start of COVID, like we've always liked cocktail making, but we we really started making a lot of cocktails, during, especially at this time last year and, uh, you know, collecting bitters and different, different paraphernalia and glasses and stuff. And we still really enjoy it. But he sent me this book called Imbibe by David Wondrich. Uh, and it's a uh, winner of the James Beard Award as well. And it's all about the history of the American cocktail. And I've only just started it. And, you know, we're still in kind of 19th century watering holes in San Francisco and New York. And uh, I, I find it just fascinating. Because one thing you kind of learn when you start making drinks is they're all essentially made off of the same kind of concoctions and then variations off of there. But it's uh, anyways, it's a pretty cool book. Um, recommend it. Imbibe by uh, David Wondrich if you're interested in the history of the cocktail and or just uh, kind of any anything to do with food and drink. I will say that every time I start reading it though I get about three pages in and then I got to make a cocktail so it's made uh, made it not really the best bedtime reading for me but go check it out. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 72. 
just about in the books. And, uh, you know, it was maybe one of our darker episodes. Uh, it's it's been tough, though, man. But, uh, you know, we tried to put a little bit of positivity in there. Look, like, we've... I, I know for myself, and I know you're probably the same, Doug. Like, I've never been on this, uh, like, you know, taking sides on canucks twitter with canucks fans i like to listen to what all the fans are saying i like to discuss things with them i don't always agree with them but at the end of the day they're still canucks fans and i want to hear their opinions i understand the huge amount of frustration uh the benning thing is a big one i mean my stance with benning over the last couple years has moved from being fairly neutral to being uh more like you know what i think this organization needs an overhaul and we got to move on from him but it's uh it's it's tough times right now let's just get through the season and uh one thing we do like to do as much as i you know shit on talking draft lottery again doug is uh i do enjoy the draft and uh, once this season is over i'm gonna really do a little bit more homework um draft lottery i believe is june 2nd as well wow that's that's right around the corner holy cow that's like less than a month away well that's just for the order that's not for the actual draft yeah. yeah But I mean, that's the part that most Canuck fans are going to be really keying keying in on because you know maybe you get a chance at Luke Hughes, maybe you get a chance at Brant Clark or Owen Power. The consensus is if you're in you know probably top six of the draft, you're going to get a good player. Yeah, and you're more than likely going to get a really solid defenseman. This is a top heavy draft class of defensemen. Uh, so yeah, I'm really stoked for that. Yeah, I agree. Like, you know, we try to shed some positivity on this episode and, you know, talk about some of the positives to come out of this season. Um, the Canucks have how many games left? I believe 10. 10, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. It's tough to get excited to watch games right now. I, I do like the fact that they are starting to play the kids. We're seeing Colin uh, made his debut a couple of games ago. Jack Rathbone will be making his debut tonight. Jonah Gadjevich, I don't think you're calling him up if you plan isn't to get him a game or two um so that is exciting and i am looking forward to watching those games but i do think there's a lot of work for this team to do in the off season whether or not ownership is willing to make those sweeping changes who knows i do think money is a big issue for them at the moment betting is signed beyond this year so i don't know if they're going to be willing to give betting his marching orders and then sign another kind of big ticket GM. There's some people who think that if Green doesn't re-sign that, you know, Aquilini could go and sign Babcock. Please, no, God, no. Don't let that happen. Um, not a Babcock fan. Don't want to see him here. But yeah, man, I, 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 it, the future's got to get better. It, it, it's got to get brighter for this team. There's too much young talent on this team despite the the, the sea of VCs at the moment uh, for them not to make strides and not to be a, a perennial Stanley Cup contender in the next few years here, at least in my opinion. I, I do think two years away is more the realistic approach. I think there's a lot of things that will help this offseason. Um, you will get some bad contracts off the books. You'll have some more prospects coming up. You'll have another high prospect uh, in the pipeline as well. Um and hopefully they're healthier as well next year because losing PD has been a, a huge factor for this team as well. They can't score as much without them. 
But for now, 10 more games to go. We just got to get through this, and uh, I'll enjoy watching the kids play. I'm certainly stoked to see Rathbone tonight. Uh, here's hoping he looks as good as from what I've seen from him in the NCAA and the AHL. Uh, once again, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore Gas. Check out our playlist on Spotify. It's aptly named the Canucks Speakeasy Outro Playlist. This track is going on there. All sorts of good tracks on there. Uh, shout out to uh, all the people who told us how much they enjoy that playlist. Uh, we're going to keep growing that as well. It's uh, got to be about 70 songs strong now. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And be sure to follow the podca- podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.